Growing Up Baby with Haley Zimak. Hi, and thanks for listening. If you found this episode, chances are you're looking for some relief. Whether that comes in the form of peaceful bedtimes, more than a few hours of uninterrupted sleep throughout the night, or what I was hoping for, a one-size-fits-all solution to a waking nightmare. Spoiler alert, there's no magic wand. But the good news is there are ways to manage the 18-month sleep regression. Two days after speaking with my next guest, my partner and I started re-implementing our little guy's sleep routine with the advice you'll soon hear. We saw a positive shift after three or four nights, those are the toughest, and he was going down and staying down within two and a half weeks. Bridget Jensen is a sleep consultant at Better Bedtime. You've heard her on this podcast before. She's a comforting and reassuring presence when you're at your wits end because you're just so darn tired. I hope this conversation helps you get some rest. Bridget, thank you so much for joining us once again. Uh, Sleep is a big topic, right? This is why we have to connect every couple of months, I think. Yes, sleep is one of those ever-evolving things as a parent that we have to deal with. So let's talk about it. Let's get into it, the dreaded 18-month sleep regression. And why I think I'm personally so offended by this particular regression is because we were doing really well, right? You you helped Silas and I through some roadblocks, some hurdles, but it was smooth sailing. I thought we were good, and all of a sudden, it seems to hit us out of nowhere. So what is the 18-month sleep regression, and what can it look like? The 18-month sleep regression, and I'm you can't see me, but I'm using quotes with my fingers here. Because the word regression, you know, it seems negative in that they're taking a step back with their sleep. The good news with an 18-month sleep regression or any of these sleep regressions is that it's really a healthy sign of development. They're learning so many things. You might notice physically some things verbally that they're doing, you know, new words, new sounds that they're making. And they're also learning about being separate from their parents. So that's where we can sometimes get a bit of separation anxiety. Another factor that can contribute to these, um, you know, sleep challenges around 18 months can be, you know, coincide with teething too. There's all sorts of factors at play. Okay. Yes, because you said about the air quotes, because technically, I guess ours was like 16 and a half, 17 uh, months. I've also heard it can extend up to three years. Is that, is there any truth to that? I think there can be sleep challenges in any age group for any number of reasons. Sometimes it has to do with changes at home. It could be moving, it could be a new sibling, um, you know, things like that. It could also be returning from a trip or just developmentally learning to say no or learning that I have an option to leave the room. I just earlier today spoke with a mom of a 21-month-old who likes to leave the bedroom and wander around the house. Um, So if they figure out they can do this and the option exists, then sure, it could go to age three or even much, much later. Oh, okay. My friend asked me, you know, when are you going to move him into a crib into like the toddler bed, you know, where the the bar comes down? And I said, well, not now, because there's no way he'd stay in his room. Like I'm already struggling with the sleep. So man, having access to the house. Okay. Um, So you mentioned those milestones, whether it's cognitive, developmental, you know, Silas, for instance, got some molars coming into the back. So it really doesn't affect all babies or toddlers equally then, does it? You're exactly right. And some people won't really feel this at all. So if you're someone listening right now whose little one isn't that age yet, it doesn't mean you have to dread it because it might not even impact you. And Haley, you brought up a really good point. Some people, when they're experiencing some sleep challenges, especially at 18 months, 
will think it means their little one hates their crib or doesn't like their crib. And then they are inclined to switch to a toddler bed because they'll say, okay, this isn't working. It's time to switch the bed. But I, my best advice with this is to keep your little one in their crib as long as possible, you know, at least until age three, unless they're climbing out consistently because they don't understand the responsibility of staying in bed. And so we want to make sure that space is comfortable for them. And of course, number one, it's safe for them. Mm, Okay, good to know. Thank you. I feel personally that this kind of snuck up on us and just hit us. But then looking back, I think, okay, I transitioned back to work. He transitioned into daycare. So when we talk about maybe some signs that could hint that a sleep regression is coming, are there any that we can kind of prepare for so we don't feel so blindsided? Definitely. So the age alone, like getting close, as you said, to 16 and a half, 17 months, approaching that 18 months or a wee bit later is a factor. But we love to go by our little one signals. So something like a little one who was sleeping well previously is all of a sudden clinging on to you at that time or resisting going down, resisting their nap or not napping as long or having more frequent night wakings than they had before. If you're seeing this a few days a week for a, you know a week or two, it's likely that they're going through this leap. If it's happening just the odd time, I wouldn't really say it's probably a sleep regression. It could just be about of teething or an off day. It's more if you're seeing it, you know, four or five nights a week ongoing. Okay. And that leads into my next question because without intervention, will they just outgrow this? Or is this something that you do have to make conscious decisions to maybe modify your schedule or or how they're going down? Because of course, we need to get to the, the tips in just a sec for that. That's a really good question. So remembering that I'm totally biased, because I'm only hearing from people who are not sleeping well, and things didn't get better. We're getting months later or years down the line after this sleep regression at 18 months. That's when we're getting the phone calls from those who didn't you know, ever snap back from it, let's say. But according to the Sleep Foundation and a rule of thumb kind of amongst us sleep consultants is that it is best to, to keep the same sleep routine and not budge off of that to hopefully prevent it from lasting too long. Because the more they see these other options exist of let's say joining the folks in bed or wandering the house or whatever options are there, the more they can continue to see it. So all this to say, what could have been a temporary sleep regression with some challenges can turn into months or even years if we allow um, these options to exist for them. Okay. And I know there's there's never any shame, never any judgment um, when when I speak with you, when you speak with your clients, of course. But even when we're hearing, when I'm hearing this, I think, you know, we bring him into bed because it's just easier to get some sleep or I let him push the bedtime back because I think, oh, you're not really tired. And that is what we shouldn't be doing, right? We should be what? What can we do to make this pass a little bit faster? Because personally, I'm on week six and it's a lot. Yeah, I I like the way you worded that. And I always say as parents, we shouldn't should on ourselves, I guess, and that what works best for you, that's what matters most. And so if pulling him into bed has not, you know, solved anything for you, and clearly it's been six weeks now. So I would say, because we're several weeks in, it's really time to sort of buckle down, I'd bring back a nice early bedtime. And this really brings in this conversation that we see as you enter toddlerhood too with him. And with anyone listening is that we should remain in the driver's seat as parents when it comes to our little one's sleep timing, sleep location and sleep routine, even though they might have an opinion about it. And as the time goes by with him too, he may ask for an extra this or an extra that, um, which in the moment doesn't seem like an issue. But 
it can spiral into, you know, next thing you know, you're doing 16 tasks before bed, you know, after read eight books, standing on your head kind of thing, it can be real and they're still not sleeping well. So all this to say, remain in the driver's seat so that you can confidently guide your little one on what their sleep boundaries look like. And then, you know, they can test it, they will, they'll see what's up or what they can do, but you would just meet them every time with the same response. Okay. And we've talked previously about sleep hygiene. If you could just give us a refresh, right? That's things like having a dark room, you know, maybe having a a sound machine on if that's been working for you. Yeah, you got it. So sleep hygiene is this idea of our habits and practices around our sleep routine. So similar to personal hygiene, you know, if you took a shower and you have clean clothes on today, you're probably good to go. Good sleep, good hygiene. Um, So for sleep hygiene, we want the space always to be safe. So no risk at all in or around the crib. It's nice and low. We're feeling that they're, you know, completely safe in there. We're also looking for a good dark room, the temperature somewhere between 20 and 22 degrees Celsius. We love a white noise machine that's continuous, especially in the wee hours of the morning that can help um, let him link his sleep cycles without um, hearing so much from the house or the neighborhood and, and pulling him from sleep. So those are some things you can do. The routine itself is also part of sleep hygiene. So doing the same order of things, it could be bath or even washing mittens and face before um, getting into the bedroom where we do pajamas, maybe a sleep sack, a story, those sorts of things. So the same order every time so that he knows what to expect. And then let's say we've done all that. It's the regular bedtime. You don't want to let the little one uh, drift off to sleep in your arms and then do the transfer, correct? We're going back to back to basics here and it's drowsy but awake when they go in the crib still at this age? Yeah. So let's put on our sleep training hat for a minute and think if we are in that realm of we want our little one to go down awake and aware of their space so that when they do wake up two hours later or four hours later, which again is a normal human function, that they're able to look around their space and drift pack to sleep on their own. That's sort of a sleep training strategy that works beautifully. But for anyone listening, if you rock or feed your baby to sleep and and transfer them down and they sleep soundly, then you don't need to to change that. I would only change that if the nights are an issue. But that's why we're talking, right? Because for so many at this time, the nights really are an issue. So, and it's tough. And I'm sure this is tough. I mean, you have three children yourself. I can't speak for you. I don't know if it got easier for you if you had any challenges for myself. This is we're we're first timers at this, right? So when we put him down and he shrieks and it's relentless and he's crying and he's standing up at the crib, you know, our instinct or inclination is to pick him up and grab him and soothe him and rock him. But again, that hasn't been working. So what's an alternative to that? Yeah, that's a good point, Haley. And I think asking that question, is it working or isn't it working? And then making a change accordingly. So we like to check off the easier things are those sleep hygiene pieces, those environmental factors with the space being set up just so. The timing is a big deal too. We want to make sure they're down early enough so that they don't have the stamina to really, you know, fight it. But also that if they're overtired, they could have a more broken night of sleep. So if and when, and again, we're only hearing from those who are having a struggle, if and when they're standing, they're crying, they're upset, this is where you as a parent make a decision on, should I go in and be beside them and offer them careful touch, maybe some verbal reassurance of it, mommy's here, it's sleepy time, that sort of thing. Or do you leave and then come in every few minutes? It's really different for every family. Um, it will be uncomfortable for everyone. No one you know, loves to do changes like that. It can be draining. But when you think about the alternative of broken sleep, especially at five or six weeks, and in, in your example, you got to make a change. Something's got to give. 
Mm-hmm. Agreed. And and you think, and again, we won't quote you on this, even though, of course, it's a recorded conversation, but you think, you know, three to four nights is when if you if you start with that routine and you stick to it is, is when you start to see some positive change, right? Yeah. And that's true for these young. So for babies who are sleep training, even as young as four months or six months, 10 months, and even up into 18 months where we're at with him now, you should expect to see some progress by three or four nights in. And you're really focusing on our three key factors as always, which is getting the timing right, making sure he was wide awake through his wake window. So he didn't have any chance to catnap and then, you know, fight that sleep. So we want him wide awake till he's placed in the crib. And the third piece of our puzzle is giving him adequate space, whether that's, you know, you're physically beside him and supporting him or you're leaving the room, but not being his ticket to fall asleep. You're there to help him, reassure him of your presence, prepare him for bed, but not put him to sleep. Mm-hmm. So focusing on those three things really can make a big difference. And you should see progress in three to four nights. For those listening who have older, so let's say two and up, you might not see progress that way. You might see some major ups and downs at first, and it could be a week until you're seeing more progress. Okay. I'm so curious, honestly, like what is going on in their little heads at that time? Because, you know, you know, they're exhausted, but I wonder if it's like us, you know, if you've had a particularly, I don't know, busy day or something's happened. And especially if there's a big change for them, are they just kind of cycling through the, this, is it maybe separation anxiety because they don't want to let themselves fall asleep because then you'll be gone. And I mean, I, I know no one can definitively right answer this question, but what do you think? Is it all of the above? It it's really hard to pinpoint, especially when they can't tell us. So yeah. sort of the, the few factors that we usually chalk it up to is their expanded physical, you know, mobile mobility um, abilities and their vocabulary. Them noticing that they're uh, separate from you, especially like you, you're now having a change in his routine. And so something that can help with that separation anxiety is when you are awake, you know, during your wake time during the day, is having a bit of separation from your little one when they're with another safe adult. So maybe leaving them with their other parent or their daycare and having you return. So that can be really helpful so that they trust that you are coming back um, during the day and that can help in the night too. It could also be, it's hard to say, teething. There's discussion about nightmares. Are they scared? That's a pretty big feeling for 18 month olds. So there's not, that's not really common. Mm. Um, So these are, yeah, lots of factors could be at play here. Okay. And how much sleep should they be getting? Like not as much as newborn or like baby babies, right? Is it kind of the older you get, like the less sleep you need until you're our age and then we run on what, five, six hours? <laughs> <laughs> you're right. It definitely does change. And something I love is about five or six years ago, they changed the sleep recommendations were pretty cut and dry. So it was very tight. Like let's say, um, you know, 14 hours within 24 hours. And now it's more of a ballpark. So the sleep foundation went ahead and changed that in that um, a ballpark is really common. So we would look for something like 10 to 12 hours at night for him at 18 months. And we look for one nap a day and it could be an hour, it could be two, some even up to three. But I would challenge you if you're listening to this and your little one's sleeping a long nap during the day, maybe it's three hours and you have all these other things in place and they're still having difficult nights, that would be worth uh, shaving some time off the nap to see how they do. You might even limit it to two and a half hours um, to see. So, so yeah, 10 to 12 hours is what we would look for overnight. And then we look for one nap somewhere between one and three hours. 
Okay, perfect. As always, such a pleasure. I know we focused a lot on the little ones because, of course, this is who we're trying to get down. But you deal with parents and caregivers probably in their most heightened, stressful state. So what advice, you know, compassionate words do you have for parents who are really just struggling right now and are sleep deprived? And, you know, as much as you love your kid, my God, it is frustrating and it's hard. It, it is really hard and it's nice to have conversations like this to be real about it and, and not pretend it's a non-issue. My advice to you is that we can't control all of these things. We can't force them to fall asleep. We can't prevent all these wakings. All we can do is decide what happens next in terms of timing, in terms of response, even their sleep environment. The other thing is, tell this to yourself and I, I say this to myself too, is that we can't take credit for it all. So if your little one's sleeping great, we want to pat ourselves on the back and be like, I did this, right? But the flip side of that is when they're not sleeping beautifully, we're hard on ourselves. What have we done? What did I do? Um, but they're their own people, right? They're going to go through these growth spurts, these leaps, these changes. They're going to go through all of that. And all we can do is meet them where they're at developmentally and make changes as needed. How your little one sleeps is not a reflection of you as a parent. So just be kind to yourself. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please download, subscribe, follow, and share. Until next time.